Chapter Fourteen of the Great Impersonation. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. The Great Impersonation by E. Phillips Oppenheim. Chapter Fourteen. There were times during their rapid journey when Seaman, studying his companion, became thoughtful. Dominey seemed indeed to have passed beyond the boundaries of any ordinary reserve, to have become like a man enmeshed in the toils of a past so absorbing that he moved as though in a dream, speaking only when necessary and comporting himself generally like one to whom all externals have lost significance. As they embarked upon the final stage of their travels, Seaman leaned forward in his seat in the somberly upholstered, overheated compartment. "'Your homecoming seems to depress you, von Ragastein,' he said. "'It was not my intention,' Dominey replied, "'to set foot in Germany again for many years. "'The past still bites? "'Always.' The train sped on through long chains of vineyard-covered hills, out into a stretch of flat country, into forests of pines, in the midst of which were great cleared spaces, where, notwithstanding the closely drawn windows, the resinous odor from the fallen trunks seemed to permeate the compartment. Presently they slackened speed. Seaman glanced at his watch and rose. "'Prepare yourself, my friend,' he said. "'We descend in a few minutes.' Dominey glanced out of the window. "'But where are we?' he inquired. "'Within five minutes of our destination. But there is not a house in sight,' Dominey remarked wonderingly. "'You will be received on board His Majesty's private train,' Seaman announced. "'The Kaiser, with his staff, is making one of his military tours. We are honored by being permitted to travel back with him as far as the Belgian frontier.' They had come to a standstill now. A bearded and uniformed official threw open the door of their compartment, and they stepped on to the narrow wooden platform of a small station which seemed to have been recently built of fresh pine planks. The train, immediately they had alighted, passed on. Their journey was over. A brief conversation was carried on between Seaman and the official, during which Dominey took curious note of his surroundings. Around the station, half hidden in some places by the trees and shrubs, was drawn a complete cordon of soldiers, who seemed to have recently disembarked from a military train which stood upon a siding. In the middle of it was a solitary saloon carriage, painted black with much gold ornamentation, and having emblazoned upon the central panel the royal arms of Germany. Seaman, when he had finished his conversation, took Dominey by the arm and led him across the line towards it. An officer received them at the steps and bowed punctiliously to Dominey, at whom he gazed with much interest. "'His Majesty will receive you at once,' he announced. "'Follow me.' They boarded the train and passed along a richly carpeted corridor. Their guide paused and pointed to a small retiring room where several men were seated. "'Herr Seaman will find friends there,' he said. His Imperial Majesty will receive him for a few minutes later. The Baron von Ragastein will come this way. Dominey was ushered now into the main saloon. His guide motioned him to remain near the entrance, and, himself advancing a few paces, stood at the salute before a seated figure who was bending over a map, which a stern-faced man in the uniform of a general had unrolled before him. 
The Kaiser glanced up at the sound of footsteps and whispered something in the general's ear. The latter clicked his heels together and retired. The Kaiser beckoned Dominey to advance. "'The Baron von Ragastein, Your Majesty,' the young officer murmured. Dominey stood at attention for a moment and bowed a little awkwardly. The Kaiser smiled. "'It pleases me,' he said, "'to see a German officer ill at ease without his uniform. Count, you will leave us. Baron von Ragastein, be seated.' "'Sir Everard Dominey, at your service, Majesty,' Dominey replied, as he took the chair to which his august host pointed. "'Thorough in all things, I see,' the latter observed. "'Sit there and be at your ease. Good reports have reached me of your work in Africa.' "'I did my best to execute your Majesty's will,' Dominey ventured. "'You did so well,' the Kaiser pronounced, "'that my counselors were unanimous in advising your withdrawal to what will shortly become the great center of interest. From the moment of receiving our commands you appear to have displayed initiative. I gather that your personation of this English baronet has been successfully carried through?' "'Up to the present, your Majesty.' "'Important though your work in Africa was,' the Kaiser continued, "'your present task is a far greater one. I wish to speak to you for these few minutes without reserve. First, though, drink a toast with me.' From a mahogany stand at his elbow the Kaiser drew out a long-necked bottle of Moselle, filled two very beautiful glasses, passed one to his companion, and raised the other. "'To the fatherland,' he said. "'To the fatherland,' Dominey repeated. They set down their glasses empty. The Kaiser threw back the great military cloak which he was wearing, displaying a long row of medals and decorations. His fingers still toyed with the stem of his wine-glass. He seemed for a moment to lose himself in thought. His hard and somewhat cruel mouth was tightly closed. There was a slight frown upon his forehead. He was sitting upright, taking no advantage of the cushioned back of his easy-chair his eyes a little screwed up, the frown deepening. For quite five minutes there was complete silence. One might have gathered that, turning aside from great matters, he had been devoting himself entirely to the scheme in which Dominey was concerned. "'Von Ragastein,' he said at last, "'I have sent for you to have a few words concerning your habitation in England. I wish you to receive your impressions of your mission from my own lips.' "'Your Majesty does me great honor, Dominey murmured. "'I wish you to consider yourself,' the Kaiser continued, "'as entirely removed from the limits, the authority, and the duties of my espionage system. "'From you I look for other things. "'I desire you to enter into the spirit of your assumed position. "'As a typical English country gentleman, "'I desire you to study the labor question, the Irish question.' the progress of this national service scheme, and other social movements of which you will receive notice in due time. I desire a list compiled of those writers who, in the reviews or by means of fiction, are encouraging the suspicions which I am inclined to fancy England has begun to entertain towards the fatherland. These things are all on the fringe of your real mission. That, I believe, our admirable friend Seaman has already confided to you. It is to seek the friendship, if possible the intimacy, of Prince Terniloff. The Kaiser paused, and once more his eyes wandered to the landscape which rolled away from the plate-glass windows of the car. They were certainly not the eyes of a dreamer, 
and yet in those moments they seemed filled with brooding pictures. "'The princess has already received me graciously,' Dominey confided. "'Turnaloff is the dove of peace,' the Kaiser pronounced. "'He carries the sprig of olive in his mouth. My statesmen and counselors would have sent to London an ambassador with sterner qualities. I preferred not. Turnaloff is the man to gull fools, because he is a fool himself.' He is a fit ambassador for a country which has not the wit to arm itself on land as well as by sea, when it sees a nation, mightier, more cultured, more splendidly led than its own, creeping closer every day. "'The English appear to put their whole trust in their navy, Your Majesty,' Dominey observed tentatively. The eyes of his companion flashed. His lips curled contemptuously. "'Fools!' he exclaimed. Of what use will their navy be when my sword is once drawn, when I hold the coast-towns of Calais and Boulogne, when my cannon command the Straits of Dover? The days of insular nations are past, past as surely as the days of England's arrogant supremacy upon the seas. The Kaiser refilled his glass and Dominey's. In some months' time, von Ragastein, he continued, you will understand why you have been enjoined to become the friend and companion of Turnaloff. You will understand your mission a little more clearly than you do now. Its exact nature waits upon developments. You can at all times trust seamen. Dominey bowed and remained silent. His companion continued after another brief spell of silent brooding. Von Ragastein, he said, my decree of banishment against you was a just one. The morals of my people are as sacred to me as my oath to win for them a mightier empire. You first of all betrayed the wife of one of the most influential noblemen of a state allied to my own, and then in the duel that followed you slew him. It was an accident, Your Majesty, Dominey pleaded. I had no intention of even wounding the prince. The Kaiser frowned. All manner of excuses were loathsome to him. The accident should have happened the other way, he rejoined sharply. I should have lost a valuable servant, but it was your life which was forfeit and not his. Still, they tell me that your work in Africa was well and thoroughly done. I give you this one great chance of rehabilitation. If your work in England commends itself to me, the sentence of exile under which you suffer shall be rescinded. Your Majesty is too good, Dominey murmured. The work for its own sake will command my every effort, even without the hope of reward. That, the Kaiser said, is well spoken. It is the spirit, I believe, with which every son of my empire regards the future. I think that they too, more especially those who surround my person, have felt something of that divine message which has come to me. For many years I have, for the sake of my people, willed peace." Now that the time draws near when heaven has shown me another duty, I have no fear but that every loyal German will bow his head before the lightnings which will play around my sword, and share with me the iron will to wield it. Your audience is finished, Baron von Ragastein. You will take your place with the gentlemen of my suite in the retiring room. We shall proceed within a few minutes, and leave you at the Belgian frontier." Dominey rose, bowed stiffly, and backed down the carpeted way. The Kaiser was already bending once more over the map. Seaman, who was waiting outside the door of the anteroom, called him in and introduced him to several members of the suite. 
One, a young man with a fixed monocle, scars upon his face, and a queer puppet-like carriage, looked at him a little strangely. "'We met some years ago in Munich, Baron,' he remarked. "'I acknowledged no former meetings with anyone in this country,' Dominey replied stiffly. "'I obey the orders of my imperial master when I wipe from my mind every episode or reminiscence of my former days.' The young man's face cleared, and Seaman, by his side, who had knitted his brows thoughtfully, nodded understandingly. "'You are certainly a good actor, Baron,' he declared. "'Even your German has become a little English.' "'Sit down and join us in a glass of beer. Luncheon will be served to us here in a few minutes. You will not be recalled to the presence until we set you down.' Dominey bowed stiffly and took his place with the others. The train had already started. Dominey gazed thoughtfully out of the window. Seaman, who was waiting about for his audience, patted him on the arm. "'Dear friend,' he said, "'I sympathize with you.' You sorrow because your back is now to Berlin. Still, remember this, that the day is not far off when the sentence of exile against you will be annulled. You will have expiated that crime which, believe me, although I do not venture to claim a place amongst them, none of your friends or equals have ever regarded in the same light as His Imperial Majesty. A smiling steward in black livery with white facings made his appearance and served them with beer and tall glasses. The senior officer there, who had now seated himself opposite to Dominey, raised his glass and bowed. "'To the Baron von Ragestein,' he said, "'whose acquaintance I regret not having made before to-day. May we soon welcome him back, a brother-in-arms, a companion in great deeds. Huck!' End of chapter 14 Recording by Tom Weiss